All right, and we'd like to welcome you to tonight's Zoom cast on Isaiah's end time prophecy. We'll start with chapter 11, which goes over Joseph Smith's first and second ministries. So, you know, this chapter of Isaiah, chapter 11, is covered in 2 Nephi 21, as are most of the beginning chapters of Isaiah covered in 2 Nephi. And so I'll start reading in 2 Nephi <coughs> chapter 21, which is Isaiah 11. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So a rod out of the stem of Jesse and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So what is the rod? What is the stem? What is the branch? And who's the roots? Let's go to DNC 113, verses 1 through 6, where the question is asked in verse 1, who is the stem of Jesse? <coughs> spoken of in the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth verses of the 11th chapter of Isaiah. Verily, thus saith the Lord, it is Christ. So the stem of Jesse is Christ, or in other words, the trunk of the tree, the trunk of the olive tree is Christ. Verse three, what is the rod spoken of in the first verse of the 11th chapter of Isaiah that should come of the stem of Jesse. Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is a servant in the hands of Christ who is partly descendant of Jesse as well as of Ephraim or of the house of Joseph, on whom there is laid much power. Now, you know, Jesse is forefather of King David, um, progenitors of Christ. And Joseph Smith in his first ministry was of the blood of Jesse through his mother and Ephraim through his father. And the rod in Isaiah 11 is Joseph Smith in his first ministry. Verse five, what is the root of Jesse spoken of in the 10th verse of the 11th chapter, and also spoken in verse 1. Behold, thus saith the Lord, it is, this <coughs> it is a descendant of Jesse, as well as of Joseph, unto whom rightly belongs the priesthood, and the keys of the kingdom, for an ensign, and for the gathering of my people in the last days." Now, in Isaiah, the ensign, there are two ensigns in Isaiah, the end-time Davidic servant and the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. So, the root of Jesse in this context is the end-time servant. And this is simply a way to distinguish Joseph Smith's first ministry from his second. The first ministry being the rod and his second ministry being the root. And if you'll notice uh, in both ministries, he's both a descendant of uh, Jesse and of Joseph. Now, verse two in second Nephi 21, which is also verse two in Isaiah chapter 11. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who is the him? Upon the root and the rod of Jesse. Or the end time servant. And particularly Joseph Smith in his second ministry. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. And these titles <clears throat> have direct reference 
to the titles that were applied to Jesus or uh, to Hezekiah, you know, who Jesus Christ ultimately symbolizes. But Hezekiah is a type of the end time servant, Hezekiah being one of the righteous kings of Israel, the son of Amos. And it was his birth that was given to Amos as a sign that the prophecies and the warnings of Isaiah did in fact come from God. Now, also, you know, regarding Joseph Smith <clears throat> being the end time servant spoken of in Isaiah, let's cross reference Isaiah 49, verse 2. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hath hid me. He made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. Now this has to reference to <coughs> the Lord's end time servant not coming on the scene immediately when he's on the earth. For the Lord keeps him hidden for a period of time. Now, in History of the Church, volume 5, page 401, Joseph says, I am like a huge rough stone rolling down from a high mountain. And the only polishing I get is when some corner gets rubbed off by coming in contact with something else, striking with accelerated force against religious bigotry, priestcraft, lawyercraft, doctorcraft, lying editors, suborned judges and jurors, and the authority of perjured executives backed by mobs, blasphemers, licentious and corrupt men and women, all hell knocking off a corner here and a corner there. Thus, I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Notice the future tense. Thus, I will become a smooth and polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty. Verse 2 again in Isaiah 49. And he hath made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand hath he hid me, and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver hath he hid me. Joseph Smith is in fact prophesying of his role as the end time to servant as prophesied by Isaiah, and that he will have a second ministry. Going back to the quote by Joseph in History of the Church, Volume 5. Thus I will become a smooth, polished shaft in the quiver of the Almighty, who will give me dominion over all and every one of them when their refuge of lies shall fail. Well, those who sought the death of Joseph and the early saints, their demise did not come during Joseph Smith's first ministry, but it does come and is prophesied of by Isaiah in his second ministry. And their hiding places shall be destroyed. And these smooth polished stones with which I come in contact become marred. Certainly, this was not Joseph Smith's first ministry, but his second. Going back to Isaiah 11, 2 Nephi chapter 21, verse 3. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. The implication is that there is universal injustice that is being applied to the people. And that the end time servant comes with justice and the ability to properly and correctly judge. Verse 4, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth. And with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. Again, we have the metaphor, the rod of his mouth. Um, a metaphor for Joseph Smith in his second ministry. And with the breath of his lips, slay the wicked. Now, his cross-reference, 
Let's go to Helaman 10. And many times in Isaiah, Isaiah talks about the end time servant being empowered by God with his power and authority before he comes on the scene, just as Moses was empowered by God before he went <laughs> before Pharaoh. Now, this empowerment by God is having the second order of Melchizedek priesthood sealed upon him, and thus having command over the elements. And listen to a few verses about this power that's bestowed upon Nephi in Helaman chapter 10. Verse 5, And now because thou hast done this with such unweariness, Behold, I will bless thee forever, and I will make thee mighty in word and in deed, in faith and in work, say even that all things shall be done unto thee according to thy words, for thou shalt not ask that which is contrary to my will. Behold, thou art Nephi, and I am God. Behold, I declare it unto thee in the presence of mine angels, that ye shall have power over this people, and shall smite the earth with famine and with pestilence and destruction according to the wickedness of this people. And verses 10 and 11. And behold, if ye shall say that God shall smite this people, it shall come to pass. And now behold, I command you that ye shall go and declare unto this people that thus saith the Lord God who is almighty, except ye repent, ye shall be smitten even unto destruction. Back in 2 Nephi 21 or Isaiah 11. <coughs> Verse 4 again, but with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. Now, righteousness is a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. And faithfulness, a metaphor for Jesus Christ. And righteousness precedes faithfulness. And another metaphor for Jesus Christ is salvation. And as we go through the book of Isaiah, we see that righteousness precedes um, faithfulness and salvation. Or in other words, this is the end time Elias to prepare for the return of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Verse six, the wolf also shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and fatling together and a little child shall lead them. Now, here we have a mix of clean and unclean animals. The clean animals, you know, Anciently, those who divide the hoof and chew the cud, um, being the lamb, the goat, the calf, um, in contrast with the unclean animals, the leopard, the lion, the wolf, or in other words, the end time servant will gather out um, those who are willing to enter into covenant with the true and living God, wherever they are and whoever they are, both of the covenant and non-covenant lines. And a little child shall lead them. Well, this has, again, reference to the son who would be born to King Ahaz, Hezekiah, as a sign as he was alluded to in verse 3 and verse 2. Or, you know, this child being the Lord's end-time servant, not having reference to his biological age, but simply this is one of the types that Isaiah uses to describe the end-time servant. And also, you know, this is talking about leading them on an end time exodus. And we have the establishment of New Jerusalem 
Um, so, you know, God's people, God's covenant people, or those who are willing to enter into and live the covenant with their God are gathered together on end time exoduses and will live together in New Jerusalem. And the cow and the bear shall feed, their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. And the sucking child shall play on the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the cockatrice's den. Here we have the bringing together of the ultimate clean and unclean, you know, a child and the serpent. And regardless of, you know, physical lineage or parentage, you know, another representation that all who are willing to enter into the new covenant, even that of a broken heart and contrite spirit, not only with their lips, but also with their hearts, will be delivered from bondage, led on an end time exodus, and will dwell in peace and harmony together. <coughs> Verse 9, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. All right, my holy mountain. You know, mountain is um, a metaphor for nations or peoples. Um, my holy mountain would be uh, the place of New Jerusalem. And once old Jerusalem is again established as a holy city, it would also apply to old Jerusalem. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord, because the end time servant opens again the heavens, and the knowledge of the doctrine of Christ in its fullness is restored. That through the new and everlasting covenant, God's people might receive the baptism of fire baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then be instructed about how to enter into his rest which rest is the fullness of Christ's glory. And then as the waters cover the sea, you know, the waters in Isaiah being a metaphor for the power of destruction and chaos of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, as he goes about his mission of destroying most of the world's population, that that will be completely subdued. <clears throat> Verse 10, in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse. Okay, again, the root of Jesse represents the end time servant or Joseph Smith in his second ministry, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek and his rest shall be glorious. Well, let's take a look at a prophecy concerning the the root of Jesse and the Gentiles seeking unto him. Didn't see 101. Parable of Redemption of Zion, which really is the key that unlocks the sealed book of Doctrine and Covenants and the book of Isaiah. Verse 55. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, and the identity of this servant, remember, in DNC 103, verse 21, is identified. Verily, verily, I say unto you that my servant Joseph Smith Jr. is the man to whom I liken the servant to whom the Lord of the vineyard spake in the parable that I have given unto you. So back in 101, verse 55. And the Lord of the vineyard said unto one of his servants, Joseph Smith Jr., go and gather to, together the residue of my servants. Because not only does Joseph return, but those that the Lord called in DNC 88, the first labors in the last kingdom. At least those who qualify among them return with Joseph. Gather together the residue of my servants and take all the strength of mine house. Who are the strength of mine house? Well, the members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints and all the restoration branches who, <clears throat> when they hear and understand the fullness of the gospel, Embrace the new covenant and enter into it. They are the strength of the Lord's house, which are my warriors, my young men. They that are of middle aged also among all my servants 
who are the strength of my house, save only those whom I've appointed to tarry, or in other words, the translated beings, because they're directed by John the Revelator. And go ye straight to the land of my vineyard, <coughs> redeem my vineyard, for it is mine, I have bought it with money. Therefore, get ye straight to the land, break down the walls of mine enemies, throw down their tower, and scatter their watchmen. And inasmuch as they gather together against you, avenge me of mine enemies, that by and by I may come with the residue of mine house and possess the land. The Latter-day Saints literally are the, as the Jews were during Christ's first ministry, and that the fullness of the gospel first had to go to the Jews before it could go to the Gentiles, before it could go to the rest of the world. So too, in the last restoration, the generation in which we now live, the fullness of the gospel has to first go to the Latter-day Saints, and then it can go to the Gentile nation, um, including the Lamanites, and then it can go to the rest of the house of Israel. And we read that about that in 1 Nephi chapter 13. Verse 42, and the time cometh that he shall manifest himself unto all nations. This is talking about the period of time uh, directly preceding the second coming of Jesus Christ. He shall manifest himself unto all nations. But starting first, first with Christ's mortal ministry, both unto the Jews and also unto the Gentiles. And after he has manifest himself unto the Jews and also unto the Gentiles, that's Joseph's, that's Christ's first ministry. Then he shall manifest himself unto the Gentiles, unto the Latter-day Saints, and then also unto the Jews. And the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. Back to 2 Nephi 21, Isaiah 11, verse 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, Joseph Smith Jr., which shall stand for an, <coughs> an ensign of the people. Or in other words, he will bring with him the fullness of the gospel and priesthood power. To which shall the Gentiles seek. And we just read about that in 1 Nephi 13 and in DNC 101. And his rest shall be glorious, because with the restoration of the gospel and the opening of the heavens, it becomes again possible through the doctrine of Christ to enter into the rest of the Lord. In fact, that is the very requirement to be able to go through the gates of New Jerusalem. Verse 11, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. Which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and from Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. Um, this has, you know, several layers of meaning, two of those being the first time, you know, his hand was set to recover his people um, would have been in the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then again, when Christ came during his mortal ministry, and then again during Joseph Smith's first ministry, and again during Joseph Smith's second ministry. And so, again, can have reference to the first exodus led by Moses, the second exodus to be led by Joseph Smith, um, as well as Christ's first ministry, and after his resurrection, his apostles took the fullness of the gospel um, to the Gentiles, and also to that time directly preceding his second coming or the return of Joseph. 
and that the end time servant has both a first and a second ministry. And it shall come to pass that in that day that the Lord shall set his hand. So his hand, again, being a metaphor for the Lord's end time servant. And so, you know, set his hand uh, again, as was established in verse one, that his end time servant would have both a first and a second ministry. That he, it shall come to pass in that day that the, the Lord shall set his hand. Again, the second time, Joseph in his second ministry, to recover the remnant of his people. And verse 12, and he shall set up an ensign for the nations. Okay, as we just read in verse 10, this ensign for the nations is Joseph Smith in his second ministry. And he shall assemble the outcasts of Israel because he has the keys to gather Israel from the four corners of the earth. And I know there's some who will say, well, but in DNC 77, you know, John has the keys to recover Israel. And, and that is also true. But they're working with different strata of Israel. Joseph is gathering all Israel who will into the terrestrial order of the gospel, the church of Christ, that they might receive the baptism of fire baptism of the Holy Ghost. The gathering of Israel that John has charge over is to work with those through the 144,000 who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and help them enter into the church of the firstborn. And thus, John the Revelator and Joseph, um, the two end-time servants, but Joseph Smith Jr. being the Davidic servant, uh, have parallel missions to prepare all who will to enter into New Jerusalem and be rescued from the ravages and destructions that are coming. <coughs> Verse 13, the envy of Ephraim also shall depart and the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. You know, again, we have this reference to the bringing together of all of God's covenant people. Um, as we were reading in verse, verses 6 and 7, both the clean and the unclean animals being brought together and dwelling together in harmony. Verse 14. But they shall fly upon the shoulders of the Philistines towards the west, and they shall spoil them of the east together. And they shall lay their hand upon Edom and Moab, and the children of Ammon shall obey them. And the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind, he shall shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod and there shall a highway for a remnant of his people which shall be left from assyria like as it was to israel in the day that he came up at the land of egypt so here we have moses imagery and moses as a type and a precedent for the lord's end time servant for just as moses led an exodus out of egypt so will Joseph. Just as Moses destroyed the armies of the Egyptians and humbled Pharaoh, um, so will the Lord's end time servant um, in an end time context. And in an end time context, Isaiah uses Egypt to represent the United States of America. Uh, the Pharaoh to represent the leaders of uh, the U.S. Isaiah chapter 12. In that day, you will say, 
I praise you, O Jehovah. Although you have been angry with me, your anger is turned away and you have consoled me. So who is talking? Well, it's God's people who are gathered out on the exodus by the end time servant. <clears throat> because even God's righteous people will go into a period of bondage and slavery. And the Israel being in bondage and slavery in Egypt was a type and shadow for God's people going into bondage and slavery in the end times. And there are two forms of this bondage. One is spiritual bondage. The other is physical. Now we see the foundation of the physical bondage being laid right now by what is going on with uh, COVID-19, the vaccine passports, and the lockdowns, and everything that accompanies it. But there is also a spiritual bondage. And if we go to 1 Nephi chapter 14, Verse one, and it shall come to pass that if the Gentiles or members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and all the branches of the restoration shall hearken unto the Lamb of God in that day, in that day meaning when the end time servant returns and opens the heavens, that the doctrine of Christ might be proclaimed and it be possible through entering into the new covenant to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, and enter into the rest of the Lord. When the Lamb of God in that day shall manifest himself unto them in word and also in power, so both the preaching of the doctrine of Christ and in power, you know, direct reference to DNC 84, Verses 20 and 21. Therefore, in the ordinances thereof, the ordinances of the terrestrial order of the gospel and the authority of the first order of Melchizedek priesthood, the ordinances being baptism of water and fire and the Holy Ghost, the power of godliness is manifest. Well, the power of godliness being manifest is the reception of the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And verse 21, and without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, meaning this first order of Melchizedek priesthood, which was taken from the early saints in mid-1834, May 1834, um, but not from Joseph and those who were true and faithful in the Holy Order. But around the time of the death of Joseph, there was not a man, you know, a flesh and blood on the earth who held this order of the priesthood. And therefore, and without the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh, or in other words, when there is not a man of flesh and blood upon the earth who has been ordained and sealed to this order of the priesthood. And this is the definition of an open dispensation. It's not possible for a man or woman to receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And so going back to 1 Nephi chapter 14, he shall manifest himself unto them in word and also in power. Well, the word is the preaching, the doctrine of Christ. The power is becoming sons and daughters of Christ through the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. In the very deed unto the taking away of their stumbling blocks. Well, what is the stumbling blocks <coughs> of the Latter-day Saints been? Well, it's been the withdrawal of the Melchizedek priesthood and the withdrawal of the teaching of the doctrine of Christ. Therefore, nobody has been receiving it. But when that stumbling block is taken away and the people receive it, verse 2, and harden not their hearts against the Lamb of God, meaning they receive the doctrine of Christ and the new covenant, they shall be numbered among the seed of thy father. Why? Because with the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, the Gentile blood is burned out, and we become blood Israel. And the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost does not take place 
when we are confirmed a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Yea, they shall be numbered among the house of Israel, and they shall be a blessed people upon the promised land forever. And they shall no more be brought down into captivity, and the house of Israel shall no more be confounded. So the captivity being described here is the spiritual captivity of the removal of the doctrine of Christ from the mainstream teachings of the church since the days of Joseph's first ministry, which you know, are not restored until he opens in the heavens, and then the doctrine of Christ is again proclaimed. Back to Isaiah 12. In that day, you will say, I praise you, O Jehovah, although you have been angry with me, your anger is turned away and you have consoled me. So God's people have been in bondage, but have now been delivered, both spiritually and temporally or physically, both with the restoration of the fullness of the gospel and the deliverance from the power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, or that entity in the last days, which amasses to itself a political, economic, and military power and begins destroying the peoples of the whole earth. And so your anger, the anger of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, which God allows, is turned away, meaning it was experienced for a period of time, but God's people are delivered. Verse two, <coughs> in the God of my salvation, I will trust without fear. For Jehovah was my strength and my song when he became my salvation. Then shall you rejoice in drawing water from the fountains of salvation. So in verses two and three, we have the mention of salvation three times. A metaphor for Jesus Christ. Verse four, in that day, you will say, give thanks to Jehovah, invoke his name. Make known his deeds among the nations. Commemorate his exalted name. Sing in praise of Jehovah, who has performed wonders. Let it be acknowledged throughout the earth. So, the end time servant, while he receives his power uh, from God and accomplishes God's work, you know, his mission isn't to point people to himself. His whole mission is to point people to Jesus Christ through the teaching of the doctrine of Christ that they might become his sons and daughters and enter into his rest and be rescued from physical and spiritual bondage and be prepared to enter into millennial rest. And, you know, here we have the people who are gathered out by the end time servant hailing and praising their eternal king, even Jesus Christ. Verse 6, shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for renowned among you is the Holy One of Israel. So, on the end time exodus, DNC 103 talks about the Lord going uh, up before his people on the Exodus. In verse 20 of DNC 103, it says, But my, I say unto you, mine angel shall go up before you, and also my presence. And in time he shall possess the goodly land. So my presence going up before you, and verse 6 in Isaiah Shout and sing for joy, O inhabitants of Zion, for renowned among you is the Holy One of Israel. So at, at first glance, this would seem that Jesus Christ is actually coming down and traveling with his people to establish New Jerusalem. But in fact, what it means is that the, on the end time exodus, 
um, those who have received the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, um, have one of the 144,000 working with them to enter into the church of the firstborn or enter into the rest of the Lord and thus qualify to enter into New Jerusalem. And so that the Holy One of Israel is among you on the Exodus and that his presence shall go up before you means literally that God's people on the Exodus are entering into his rest. They're ascending to the seventh heaven or to the high mountain, just like Moses in Moses chapter one and having their calling and elections made sure becoming just and true being sealed by the Holy spirit of promise. And once God's people have entered into his rest and have established new Jerusalem, he will um, physically come down um, now, not in his glory because he can't do that <coughs> until the morning of the first resurrection or the earth would be destroyed, but he will come down and visit his people like he did his 12 apostles or like he did the Nephites in third in Nephi 11. And he will visit them before he comes in his glory. Isaiah chapter 13. Now we have a transition from the introduction of the Lord's end time servant and the deliverance of his people and the end time exodus and uh, the establishment of New Jerusalem to the destruction of the world who is Babylon by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Verse 1, an oracle or prophecy concerning Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amos saw in vision. Raise the ensign on a barren mountain. Sound the voice among them. Beckon them with the hand to advance into the precincts of the elite. Now, this ensign is not the Lord's end time servant but he's the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. <clears throat> and this voice is not the Lord's voice, but again, the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. And this hand is not the Lord's right hand, but his left hand. Just as the Lord's end time servant was introduced in Isaiah 11, so is the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, being introduced in a similar manner here in Isaiah chapter 13. I have charged my holy ones, called out my valiant ones. Mine anger is not upon those who take pride in me. <clears throat> or in other words, this destruction, which the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, will wreak out upon the entire earth, is will not be wrought out upon his covenant people who will be led out on exoduses by the end time servant you know the holy ones are the servants who work with joseph to declare the fullness of the gospel that all who hear might also become holy ones and qualified to enter into new jerusalem called out my valiant ones. Well, calling out on the end time exodus. Mine anger or the destructive power of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon is not upon those who take pride in me. Verse four, hark, a tumult on the mountains as of a vast multitude, hark, an uproar among kingdoms as of nations assembling, Jehovah of hosts is marshalling an army for war. <clears throat> well, Jesus Christ empowers and allows the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, to gain the power 
to destroy the world and then to execute that destruction. And it encompasses <clears throat> all nations and all peoples, except God's holy and valiant ones who have been uh, called out on the exoduses. Verse 5, they come from a distant land beyond the horizon. Jehovah, the instruments of his wrath to cause destruction throughout the earth. Lament for the day of Jehovah is near. It shall come as a violent blow from the Almighty. The, the violence and destruction, which we are about to see, uh, wrought upon the earth and, it, and its inhabitants is without parallel except for the destruction of uh, the world in the days of Noah. And the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah is a type of this destruction. But that was localized to a specific city, whereas this will be as the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah over the face of the whole earth. But remember, Abraham... Um, was allowed to gather out um, the elect from the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, which basically only included Lot and his daughters. And everybody else in that city was destroyed. And in like manner, God's people will be gathered out and spared that fiery destruction of brimstone. Then shall every hand grow weak and the hearts of all men shall melt. They shall be terrified in the throes of agony, seized with trembling like a woman in labor. Men will look at one another aghast, their faces set aflame. We can hardly imagine the terror of the destructions which are coming. Verse 9, a day of Jehovah shall come, as a cruel outburst of anger and wrath to make the earth a desolation that sinners may be annihilated from it. Okay. So the anger and wrath is again, the destruction of the King of Assyria and King of Babylon. As a cross reference, let's go to DNC 45. Verses one and two, hearken, O ye people of my church, to whom the kingdom has been given. Hearken ye and give ear to him who laid the foundation of the earth, who made the heavens and all the hosts thereof, and by whom all things were made, which live and move and have a being. Now the Lord is speaking <clears throat> to us in this generation, those in the generation of Joseph Smith's second ministry. And again, I say, hearken unto my voice, lest death shall overtake you. In an hour when ye think not, the summer shall be past, and the harvest ended, and your souls not saved. And verse 22. Ye say that ye know that the end of the world cometh. Ye say also that ye know that the heavens and the earth shall pass away. And in this ye say truly, for so it is, but these things which I have told you shall not pass away until all shall be fulfilled. And this I have told you concerning Jerusalem. And when that day shall come, shall a remnant be scattered among all nations. But they shall be gathered again. But they shall remain until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Well, this is talking about the gathering of Israel from the four corners of the earth, the marvelous work and a wonder. But that doesn't happen as is outlined in verse 25, until the day of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. Well, when is the day of the Gentiles fulfilled? It's the day of the final separation of wheat and tares <coughs> um, among the Latter-day Saints. When the wheat are gathered out on the end time exodus and Zion is established, and the tares, their bands are made strong 
and they are prepared for the fire. That is the day when the day of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. And we are quickly approaching that day. Verse 26. And in that day shall be heard of wars and rumors of wars, and the whole earth shall be in commotion, and men's hearts shall fail them. Have we not just been reading the same thing in Isaiah? And they shall say that Christ delayeth his coming until the end of the earth. And the love of men shall wax cold, and iniquity shall abound. And when the time of the Gentiles is come in, now we've just gone back in time. This is the return of Joseph Smith in his second ministry, not having yet come on the scene, but opening again the heavens. And when the time of the Gentiles is come in, a light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness. So direct reference to what we were reading about in 1 Nephi 14, when the stumbling block of the Gentiles is removed from them, and they are delivered from bondage. A light shall break forth among them that sit in darkness, that is all of us. And it shall be the fullness of my gospel, the last restoration before the coming of Jesus Christ in his glory. Verse 29, but in general, they receive it not, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because of the precepts of men. Now let's cross-reference 2 Nephi 28. Now this is talking specifically about the Latter-day Saints, um, both in what we've been reading and in... 2 Nephi 28, verse 14. The Latter-day Saints wear stiff necks and high heads. Yea, and because of pride and wickedness and abominations and whoredoms, they have all gone astray, save it be a few who are the humble followers of Christ. Nevertheless, they are led that in many instances they do err because they are taught by the precepts of men. Verse 29 in DNC 45 but they receive it not, i.e. the fullness of the gospel, for they perceive not the light, and they turn their hearts from me because they are taught by the precepts of men. And in that generation shall the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. And there shall be men standing in that generation, talking about the generation in which we now live, that shall not pass until they shall see an overflowing scourge, for a desolating sickness shall cover the land. But my disciples shall stand in holy places and shall not be moved. But among the wicked, men shall lift up their voices and curse God and die. And there shall be earthquakes also in diverse places and many desolations. Yet men will harden their hearts against me. And they will take up the sword one against another and they will kill one another. DNC 5. Verses 16 through 22. And behold, whosoever believeth on my words, them will I visit with the manifestation of my spirit. And they shall be born of me, even of water and of the spirit. <clears throat> now again, the main reference here is in Joseph Smith's second ministry, when the fullness of the gospel would be restored, as well as Melchizedek priesthood power, that men and women might be able to receive baptism by water by the Melchizedek priesthood, and also the ordinance of baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost. And you must wait yet a little while, for ye are not yet ordained, and their testimony shall also go forth unto the condemnation of this generation, if they harden their hearts against them. For a desolating scourge shall go forth among the inhabitants of the earth and shall continue to be poured out from time to time. If they repent not until the earth is empty and the inhabitants thereof are consumed away and utterly destroyed by the brightness of my coming. Behold, I tell you these things, even as I also told the people of the destruction of Jerusalem, and my word shall be verified at this time 
as it hath hitherto been verified. <coughs> and now I command you, my servant Joseph, to repent and walk more uprightly before me and to yield to the persuasions of men no more. That Joseph might become the man that he needed to be for his second ministry when these things would be fulfilled. How often do you hear in general conference today, the rebuke of the brethren by the Lord and the brethren telling you about that rebuke. And if they don't repent and return, they will be replaced. Well, Joseph Smith related those things in the Doctrine and Covenants, but uh, that hasn't happened in a very long time. DNC 97. Verses 24 through 28. For the indignation of the Lord is kindled against their abominations and all their wicked works. Nevertheless, Zion shall escape if she observe to do all things whatsoever I have commanded her. And the Zion escaping here is from the terror and destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon in our generation. But if she observe not to do whatsoever I have commanded her, I will visit her according to all her works with sore afflictions and with pestilence and with plague, and with sword, and with vengeance, and with devouring fire. Nevertheless, let it be read this once to her ears, that I, the Lord, have accepted of her offering. And if she sin no more, none of these things shall come upon her. And I will bless her with blessings, and multiply a multiplicity of blessings upon her, and upon her generations forever and ever, thus saith the Lord your God. Amen. <coughs> Now, this isn't talking about the general membership of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the telestial order. This is talking about those who, from among the telestial order, accept the fullness of the gospel. They repent and return and enter into the higher order by offering up the sacrifice of a broken heart and contrite spirit and giving the Lord permission, not only with their lips, but also with their hearts, to give them any experience or experiences they yet lack, to fully come to a broken heart and contrite spirit, that they might receive the baptism of fire, baptism of the Holy Ghost, that they then might be instructed about how to enter into the rest of the Lord. And now, DNC 112. Twenty-three through twenty-six. Verily, verily, I see unto you darkness covereth the earth, and <coughs> and gross darkness the minds of the people, and all flesh has become corrupt before my face. Again, talking about the generation in which we currently live. And behold, vengeance cometh speedily upon the inhabitants of the earth, i.e., the destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. A day of wrath, a day of burning, a day of desolation, of weeping, of mourning, and of lamentation. As a whirlwind, it shall come upon all the face of the earth, saith the Lord. And upon my house, so many people think this to be an LDS temple, but my house in the end time context is defined as, in DNC 101, um, the Latter-day Saint people and all of those of the restoration branches. And upon my house shall it begin, and from my house shall it go forth, saith the Lord. First among those among you, saith the Lord, who have professed to know my name and have not known me. Think of the 15. And have blasphemed against me in the midst of my house, saith the Lord. Well, what does it mean to blaspheme against the Lord, especially in the midst of his house? To claim that one has power and authority to act in the name of God 
and administer his holy ordinances, knowing full well that he does not. Verse 33. Verily I say unto you, behold, how great is your calling. Cleanse your hearts and your garments, lest the blood of this generation be required at your hands. And 28 and 29. But purify your hearts before me, and then go ye into all the world and preach my gospel unto every creature who has not yet received it. This will commence on the end time exodus. And he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And he that believeth not and is not baptized shall be damned. And remember, baptism comprises three parts. Water, fire, and Holy Ghost. All three performed by the authority of the Melchizedek priesthood, even though there is a baptism by water by the Aaronic priesthood into the preparatory gospel. Now, back to Isaiah. Chapter 13. The day of Jehovah shall come as a cruel outburst of anger and wrath, the destruction of the king of Assyria, king of Babylon, to make the earth a desolation, that sinners may be, may be annihilated from it. The stars and constellations of the heavens will not shine. When the sun rises, it shall be obscured, nor will the moon give its light. Remember the natural disasters that we just read about in the Doctrine and Covenants. I have decreed calamity for the world, punishment for the wicked. I will put an end to the arrogance of insolent men and humble the pride of tyrants. I will make mankind scarcer than fine gold. Men more rare than gold of Ophir. I will cause disturbance in the heavens when the earth is jolted out of place. By anger of Jehovah of hosts in the day of his blazing wrath. <clears throat> I will make mankind scarcer than fine gold, men more rare than the gold of Ophir. Well, that is the spiritual level that one must ascend to. Uh, the precious metal uh, category <coughs> that Isaiah sets forth. Um, to enter into the gates of New Jerusalem. And God will take the common metals and stones, and through the persecutions which are coming, they will be refined to become semi-precious stones and metals. And then they will be further refined on the end time exodus to become precious metal and precious stones and qualify to enter into New Jerusalem. And this purification is facilitated by verse 13, the anger of the Jehovah of hosts in the day of his blazing wrath, uh, which is poured out upon the people of the earth by the king of Assyria, king of Babylon. Then like a deer that is chased, or a flock of sheep that hath no, that no one rounds up, each will return to his own people, and everyone flee to his homeland. So, those who do not receive the fullness of the gospel and enter into it both with their lips and with their hearts, they don't qualify for mercy, but they qualify for justice. Um, and this is a category of people who qualify for deliverance from destruction, but not for deliverance from extreme bondage and hardship. Verse 15, whoever is found shall be thrust through. All who are caught shall fall by the sword. Their infants shall be dashed in pieces before their eyes, their homes plundered, their wives ravished. Again, those who do not qualify for mercy and deliverance qualify for justice. And it will be beyond anything that anybody in this generation has experienced. Verse 17, see, I stir up against them the Medes who do not value silver nor covet gold. Their bows shall tear apart the young. They will show no mercy to the newborn. 
their eye will not look with compassion on children. Or in other words, they, they do not distinguish between the righteous and the wicked. They seek the destruction of everybody. And only those who survive are those who qualify for God's protection. And Babylon, the most splendid of kingdoms, the glory and pride of the Chaldeans shall be thrown down as God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Never shall it be re-inhabited. It shall not be resettled through all generations. Nomads will not pitch their tents there, nor will shepherds <coughs> rest their flocks in it. But wild animals will infest it, and its buildings overflow with weasels. Birds of prey will find lodging there, and demonic creatures prance about in it. Jackals will cry out from its palaces, howling creatures from the amusement halls. Her time draws near. Babylon's day shall not be prolonged. <coughs> this is intended to evoke vivid imagery about what it will be like outside the Exodus and outside the walls of New Jerusalem. And when old Jerusalem begins, becomes again a holy city outside of those gates. Well, I testify that the words of Isaiah are true, that we do in fact live in the generation in which all of these things will be fulfilled. And the day of the Gentiles is coming hastily to a close, but the Lord's end time servant is back and he will be coming on the scene in the near future to deliver God's people out of bondage and from destruction and that we have the opportunity to be among the strength of the Lord's house, part of that deliverance and part of that um, missionary force that will take the fullness of the gospel to the inhabitants of the entire earth for and in preparation, the return of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.